hear the word of our Lord from the epistle of St. James, the fifth chapter, beginning in the thirteenth verse. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power, as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Welcome back to our Catacomb Synod Basics series. We have completed reading the Augsburg Confession. I think we skipped the conclusion there, but oh well. I'm sorry, guys. Next week, we're going to start looking at the Pia Desideria, Spener's book that is considered to be the foundation of pietism, which I would argue that it's more of a summary of the outlook that the Bible wants us to have. You want the foundation for pietism, it's the Bible. If we're talking about pietism as it was at the beginning in the 17th century, rather than what it became. But before we get to that, I wanted to talk about prayer. After all, the Catacomb Basics series that you find on SoundCloud or wherever you get the audio file, well, I record it the morning after we have our deacon training. We have several wonderful and godly men who have decided they want to be qualified as deacons in the Catacomb Synod. A few of them starting up house churches as we speak, another few just want to be ready in case their church goes bad, and there's a couple who see this training and this qualification as something that's just good for sanctification. It's good to have iron sharpen iron and for Christian men to get together and talk about these things. All perfectly legit reasons for going through deacon training with the Catacomb Synod. If you are interested, please send me an email, very underscore Lutheran at tutanota.com, and hopefully we can hook you up in the same chat room. But that said, the notion of prayer is something that people forget is so, so, so important to the Christian. God calls us to pray. In the passage we read from St. James, he says, well, are you suffering? Pray. Are you sick? Well, pray, but pray together. Are you happy? Well, praise the Lord. That's prayer. You can pray a prayer of praise. Hey, look, Elijah, that guy, he wasn't some sort of like superhero or anything. He had a nature like ours. He was just a man, but he prayed earnestly and look at how God's word was fulfilled with the drought happening over all of Israel. And then he prayed again, and it rained again. So we praise the Lord for prayer. It is something to do under all occasions, both together and especially 
when you are alone. Our Lord Christ does tell us it's good to just go into your closet and pray alone, but there are also times to pray with friends, to pray with other members of the church. So we practiced that last night, but first we talked about two specific roadblocks to prayer. When somebody comes up to you and says, hey, could you pray for me? Sometimes the issue is a total lack of context. They ask you to pray for them, but they don't exactly tell you what they need prayer for. Another thing is if they ask you for a prayer request with wrong motives. How do you pray for somebody when what they're asking for is wrong? An example we talked about was a recently divorced mother who divorced without good justification asking you to pray that she gets everything in the divorce court settlement. She wants everything. She wants her ex-husband, who is a good man, to get nothing. But she's asking you to pray. How do you pray for her in that moment? Because the right response to, could you pray for me, ideally is to pray for them on the spot, right then and there. If you say, yeah, sure, I'll pray for you, and then you just go away, chances are you're going to have that temptation to not pray for them moving forward. And if you don't pray for them, then you're missing out. Prayer is a part of our sanctification. If you ever ask the question, why pray for something if God already knows how you're going to pray, what you're going to pray for, and how he is going to answer, because our Lord is omniscient, well, part of that is it's also for you, and it's also for the church together to be praying. The more you pray specifically for one another, the more you learn agape love for them, the more you pray for one another, and the more you pray by yourself, the more you learn to trust in God. It's a part of being more holy. And God does appreciate being asked if you want something. So when it comes to somebody who gives us a lack of context, and when it comes to somebody who has wrong motives, we are to gently pray around that. A standard prayer, properly understood, can have up to four parts. This is how Luther put it in a simple way to pray. There is admission, forgive my rephrasing, there is admission where we confess that God is omnipotent, he is blessed, he is wonderful. We say true things about our Lord as the foundation for what we're praying for. Then there's confession or repentance for our sins. We ask for forgiveness. We confess that we are sinners in need here and that we are powerless to fix our issues ourselves. Then there is petition. We are asking God for something. We are asking for his aid and his help. Then there is thanksgiving, where we thank our Lord for what he is doing and for the people that we are praying for. Now that said, it doesn't always have to be in that order, and nor does it always have to have exactly all four parts. But if somebody comes up to me with a lack of context, I can still pray for them by confessing that our Lord is all-powerful, that he sees what they are going through and he cares for them. I can still pray for them with a petition that our Lord will come to their aid, 
you can still pray for them and show them the compassion that God has for them. Remember, when somebody asks you, can you pray for me, in part they're asking you, the person, but they are also trying to recruit God's aid more in their life. So the person who has wrong motivations or they're asking for something that would be sinful in their heart, we are treating them with the same kind of gentleness that our Lord treats us with, often with a gentle course correction. So in the case of the woman who wants, quote unquote, complete victory over her ex-husband, well, she's looking for some sort of vindication or satisfaction. She's looking to feel secure in herself. The right way to pray is to say, dear God, my friend Susie or Victoria is asking for your help. She wants to feel supported. She wants to see justice done. And Lord, we don't know exactly how that's going to shake out, but we put this in your hands and we ask that you will care for Susie in the midst of these divorce troubles. After all, oh Lord, you say you hate divorce and the effects of that with all the anger and bitterness that can come up. I can see that Susie's feeling that. Please heal her heart and help her to get closer to you in this. In Jesus' name, amen. You don't have to pray for something so specifically angry in the midst of it. You don't have to pray in accordance with somebody's sin. To the contrary, it's good to pray in, well, God's ways. St. James says that if you're asking something from God and you don't receive it, there's a possibility it's because you're asking amiss that you can have your prayer request fulfilled for pleasure or for sin, and God's not going to honor that. So if we pray in accordance with his will and according to his word, we have good confidence that God will not only hear that prayer, he will answer it. So we're going to keep this brief because it's something that you got to do. You have to practice. If you feel like, I don't know how to pray for somebody, and I, I just don't have that public speaking aspect of it, or I'm worried I'm going to mess up, the best thing to do is to practice it. If you have a house church, here's a great way for you guys to practice prayer together. Have a prayer circle. Everybody makes a prayer request. Everybody writes down all the requests they're hearing, and then you practice praying for one another. Each one of you, if there's five people in a group, each one has a request, then in a circle, you pray for each person. Bill goes first. Bill prays for Stacy, for John, for Corey, and for Kayla. He prays for their requests. And then it's Stacy's turn. She prays for Bill and the other three in front of her. You do this until everybody's received four or five times their prayer requests, and they've practiced those four aspects of prayer. Admission, confession, petition, and thanksgiving. You know, you'll notice that when you do this in a prayer circle, everybody feels more compassion towards one another. You're going to notice that you start understanding that you care about these people and you get to know them a little bit better through these moments of prayer. So while today is short, 
it is important to understand that this is a foundational aspect of the Christian life. We breathe prayer. We communicate with our Lord constantly. We get to know him as we pour ourselves out to him and he pours himself into us. We get to know each other as we pray for one another and we start to say, yes, I am happy to pray for you. Just something to keep in mind before we get into the weeds of pietism now versus then and uh, what we at the Catacomb Synod are doing with it. Should we rename it to Frontier Lutheranism, etc. and so forth. But that is next week. And until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and Amen.